Well, good afternoon and happy Veterans Day to all who served. Welcome to the Jim Leach Show here on WMAY. It has become a Veterans Day tradition and really uh, on uh, several other holidays as well, but uh, on Veterans Day in particular, to welcome our next guest into studio. And he comes with a, a treasure trove of auditory gifts for all of us. Our guest is Mark DePew. He's the director of oral history at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. And among the vast collection of oral histories and extraordinarily fascinating and insightful interviews there is an extensive collection of interviews with Illinois veterans recounting their experience, not just in combat, but also in the uh, the years leading up to their war experience, how it changed them and affected their life afterwards as well. And we have more of these stories to share today with Mark DePew. Welcome. Great to have you back. Happy Veterans Day, Jim. Thank you so much. Uh, I did not uh, have the privilege of serving myself. My dad was a National Guardsman. My uncle was. Uh, and I do uh, fervently uh, express my appreciation to all who have uh, put on the uniform and taken it upon themselves to sacrifice and serve our nation. And we hope uh, that you are all uh, feeling the, uh, the honor and love and appreciation on this day. Well, I appreciate the introduction. You know, if uh, for guys like us who are a certain age, if you go back a generation or maybe two generations, there's an awful lot of us who have ancestors who served in the military because of World War II sure. and because of Korea. And uh, we're, we're focusing uh, this day in particular with several clips that tie into to Pearl Harbor. Uh, it was a, a day, uh, a matter of hours that forever changed the, the course of the planet and altered the lives of pretty much everybody uh, who, uh, you know, who was uh, on the earth at the time. Uh, and so we have uh, three different clips today looking at it from three separate angles here. So uh, why don't you go ahead and set us up the first clip. It is with uh, a veteran that I know you have spoken to at length. I've had the honor of having long conversations with him. He is an extraordinary <laughs> fellow who just uh, brings a re remarkable um, insight and clarity and passion uh, to what he talks about. And uh, we're talking about Vince Speranza, perhaps the best storyteller of an awful lot of excellent storytellers that I've interviewed over the years. And I think for each one of these, I'll kind of tell what they were doing or where they are from beforehand and then fill you in on what happened to them afterwards. So in case of Vince, his parents were Italian immigrants, um, and Vince grew up in Staten Island, this little Italian kid, scrappy kid, and uh, he remembers what it was like in the, in the months that led up to Pearl Harbor when isolationism was very much in vogue in the United States. Most Americans say, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with this fight they got over in Europe. We should keep out of it. The last one did not work well for us at all. You know, and this is a, such an interesting point because it's really been kind of lost to the sands of time. We now think of World War II as the entire country came together. We all banded together to defeat the, the Nazi scourge and to defeat uh, the, the, the Japanese Empire and we all pulled in the same direction. But leading up to it, that was not the, the story at all. No, and that's what we're going to hear with this clip from Vince. The United States was getting to be pretty isolationist. When they saw these war things coming, 
They said, you know, we're going to stay out of this one. Look at the last one. We lost 158,000 men. What did we get out of it? Nothing. They wouldn't even get the League of Nations uh, uh, set up. And, and um, the, the Congress at that time said, no, no, no. They told, turned Wilson down. They said, no, we're not going to be part of that. All it's going to do is going to get us into another war, and we got nothing out of it. We went into the war expecting that Wilson's 14 points were going to be the things that the war was settled on. And the 14 points set up a really nice world, uh, you know, no more secret, no armed forces, no, no and, and uh, open covenants openly arrived at. And, and America at that time uh, was saying, this is what I could glean from it as a, as a high school student, no, we're not going to get involved in this one. We're not, we haven't been attacked, nobody's bothering us. And, and uh, if Europe, if you want to trade cash and carry, you bring your ships over here and load the goods on it, pay cash, and send it back. Because none of you ever paid your debts to us except mm -hmm. uh, Finland, I think, uh, after the First World War. There was a, a comedian named uh, Eddie Cantor. He was a Jewish guy, but at that time they didn't know what, what the Nazis were doing to the Jews. And he had a radio program. He was in Hollywood, too. And on Sunday nights, he used to sing. If they feel like a war on some foreign shore, let them keep it over there. If some fools want to fight and they think might makes right, let them keep it over there. From coast to coast, you'll hear a million doughboys cheer. Our job is to protect our loved ones over here. We're for you, Uncle Sam, but stay out of the jam. Let them keep it over there. And everybody would be applauding. No, we're not going to get into this war. <laughs> You know, uh, among uh, the, the many great things about that clip, and not even the fact that he sings it so frequently on key, he remembers all the lyrics to this song 70-plus <laughs> years later. It's, it's amazing. i got to tell you, Jim, I've known Vince for a long time. When I did the original interview, there was one time when he sang Lily Marlene to me <laughs> in German. And then he plays Lily Marlene on his harmonica, and then he sings it in French and then he sings it in English but he can't remember the words in English <laughs> <laughs> you know and Vince of course the great story is a battle of the bulge paratrooper and did another parachute jump just a couple of years ago well into his 90s just a extraordinary guy yeah uh, as you mentioned uh, he got into the 101st Airborne he was too late for D-Day he was too late for Market Garden the bridge too far campaign but he was early enough to get trucked into Bastogne and there for the Battle of the Bulge. And, of course, he's got that classic story about delivering beer and a helmet to his buddy <laughs> in the hospital. So uh, so that's a little sense of, of leading up to uh, to Pearl Harbor. And now we jump to December 7th, 1941. Set the stage here. Well, I, before I do that, the reason I'm doing Pearl Harbor is because a month from now it will be the 80th anniversary that's, of yeah, Pearl Harbor. That's right. And that's kind of hard to wrap my brain around. I don't know about you, but... Anyway, what we're going to hear next is Charles Sehu, who is this young kid from Geneva, Illinois, came of a very poor background. Uh, so he enlists because there wasn't much else for him to do at the time. He does that in 1940, I believe. He goes out to Bremerton, Washington, as assigned to the USS Nevada. If he'd had a, a you know, his 
name started with an M, he would have ended up in the USS Arizona. But anyway, shortly thereafter, both the Arizona and the Nevada headed down to Pearl Harbor. His job, initially, his battle station was in a five-inch gun. But as he explained it, he kept dropping the five-inch rounds. And so they said, no, no, we're going to put you up on the searchlight, high up on the mast. That's going to be your battle station. So imagine yourself and the searchlight position and watching Pearl Harbor. But this is the moment he first discovers they're under attack. I had breakfast. At 7.30, I went to the head. After head, washed up. Then uh, the four or five of us in the head uh, sitting, sitting around, and all of a sudden, a jar, and boom. I said, oh, they're practicing fire. In the harbor, there's shooting. So then I ran to my battle station, and oh my God, it's going unbelievable, unbelievable. I never fully understood the feeling, the shock. Uh, what what the hell is happening? Who are they? And if you can just, e even for a moment, contemplate that these these young men, and obviously they, they knew they were signing up for the military, they were in the Navy, but they're, they're in port in Hawaii, in this tropical paradise, and all of a sudden, hell is raining down on them. Yeah, and totally unexpected. You could hear that. It's a, who are these people? What is going on? And I've been reading quite a bit about this as well. That's the overwhelming sentiment. I don't understand. what. Who are these people? Why are they even mad at us in the first place? Now, higher up, they certainly knew. And they, there's this yeah. huge controversy about that ever since. But uh, for the average, you know, he's like seven, 18 years old, maybe 19 at the time this happened. He's this young kid. Yeah. There, there are talks going back and forth in Washington between uh, the Roosevelt administration and the Japanese. They all know what's going on. But all the people who are, are sitting there on the, the <laughs> you know, soon to be the front lines in Pearl Harbor, they have no idea that yeah. any of this is going on until it's actually falling on them in the form of Japanese ordinance. It's, uh, it's incredible. And, and you could hear in his voice... This is very hard for him to talk about, but he had written about it incredibly eloquently, and I was able to incorporate some of that into the interview as well. Uh, and so uh, that's happening to the uh, young men who are on these boats in Pearl Harbor, uh, yet here back at home, it's a peaceful Sunday morning, just uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas. Uh, everybody's going through their usual Sunday morning routine in 1941, uh, having breakfast, reading the paper, uh, and, and listening to the radio. And uh, and that's when suddenly they begin to learn, as morning turns to afternoon here, they begin to learn what's happened in Hawaii. Yeah, and this next clip, you set it up really well. Uh, it's with... 10-year-old Bernie Goulet, who grew up right here in Springfield, Illinois, and he, like everybody else, you know, you're relaxing at home on, a, I think it was maybe Sunday afternoon when they finally heard the news, and they hear this information about Pearl Harbor. So here's Bernie talking about hearing that news. I remember I was playing in the uh, sitting room in the house there and uh, listening to the radio was on, and uh, the, the announcement came about the uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And boy, Dad dropped everything. It was a Sunday morning, I remember. And I remember Dad dropping everything and coming to the radio and turning the radio volume up, and uh, Mom standing in the kitchen door listening. And, uh, 
And Dad was saying, well, now we'll get those damn people. Or I think he figured that it was going to spread to Europe, uh, it was, though that was, of course, just an attack by an Asian power. Four days later, Hitler and Mussolini both declared war on us. And that's, of course, exactly how it played out. One day later, uh, FDR, with his day that will live in infamy, uh, gets the Congressional Declaration of War against Japan. And two days later, the rest of the Axis is in, and, and it is World War. And Roosevelt and Marshall, uh, General Marshall, and so many of the people in the brass in Washington, D.C., were happy that Germany declared war. Not that they were excited about fighting Germany, but they knew Germany was the bigger threat, and they had to put the war in Europe first. Now, that did not make most people happy at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as for Bernie Goulet, you know, he's a, he's a child when this happens. He's sitting in his uh, living room here in Springfield listening to it on the radio. A decade later, he's uh, in the middle of a different war. Yeah, in 1949, he enlists. He's in the Army. Uh, when the war in, in uh, Korea starts in June of 1950, he volunteers to go over, gets assigned to the 7th Infantry Division, which at that time was still in Japan. Uh, they were on occupation duty, so they weren't exactly on the sharp edge of being prepared to fight. In fact, a lot of their troops, once they got notified, they filled up the ranks with a lot of Koreans who didn't speak English oftentimes, but that's what they went to war with, and that's what Bernie ended up um, he was at the Chosen Reservoir. Actually, he was at the base of the Chosen Reservoir. Uh, his particular regiment didn't see action, but they were there in the receiving end as companies coming from the Chosen Reservoir were arriving back where he was located, and they had all these cooking tents and mess uh, operations set up. And you can see in some of the company operations, nobody was showing up, and mm. that really stuck with him. Wow. Uh, and again, this is just a, a very small selection of the the vast wealth of information and insight and firsthand accounts and recollections uh, of these extraordinary men and women and how they served our nation under the most extraordinary circumstances. And it's all available through the oral history collection of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. And Mark DePew, this is readily accessible to anybody with a computer. www.com oralhistory.illinois.gov. It's all there. There's over a thousand interviews. We've got over 300 that deal with veterans, but there's an awful lot with Illinois politics. So if that's your thing, you can dive deep into listening to Jim Thompson, uh, Governor Edgar. I'm currently working my way through Governor Quinn, but legislators, all these colorful people that we've been hearing on the news for these many, many years. Carve out some time, because once you start to digging into it, it's a, it's a little bit like going down the rabbit hole. You'll just want to keep clicking and clicking and clicking, uh, because uh, these interviews are all so uh, fascinating, and Mark DePew and his team do a great job of drawing information out of their subjects and, and really painting these vivid pictures of, of remarkable times. Mark DePew, as always, thank you. Oralhistory.illinois.gov, and you can go check it out for yourself right away.